Tonight, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just read through this, and then we'll come back and try to dissect this a little bit and, uh, and see what the Holy Spirit brings to our <clears throat> understanding tonight. Hopefully, I won't clear my throat too much tonight. But we're going to pick up in uh, verse 35. Uh, so let's, uh, let's begin by reading this and uh, follow along with me. Once again, I've got it here in the Scriptures version. Uh, you can read along in whatever version you have. Uh, once again, I, anyhow, that's what we're using here tonight. So starting with verse 35, it says, Again, the following day, Yohanan was standing with two of his taught ones, and looking at Yeshua walking, he said, See the Lamb of, of Elohim. And the two taught ones heard him speaking, and they followed Yeshua. And Yeshua, turning and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They went and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Andre, or in your ESV is probably Andrew, the brother of Shimon Kepha, Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard Yohanan and followed him. So Andre, or Andrew, was one of the two of the, uh, John the Baptist's disciples that followed. <clears throat> First he found his own brother, Shimon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the anointed. And he brought him to Yeshua, and looking at him, Yeshua said, You are Simon, son of Jonah, or Jonah. You shall be called Kepha, which means a stone. On the following day, Yeshua wished to go to the Galilee, or Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, or Andre and Kepha. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, whom Moshe wrote in the Torah and the prophets. Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Yosef. And Nathanael said to him, Is it possible for any good matter to come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, See truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, From where do you know me? Yeshua answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of Elohim, the sovereign of Israel. Yeshua answered him and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Greater than that you shall see. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, from now on you shall see heaven opened and the messengers of Elohim ascending and descending upon the son of Adam. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would honor the reading of your word. You would cause it to begin to <clears throat> prick our hearts, that it would be sharper than a two-edged sword and pierce our very reasons why we do what we do. And that, Lord, we would grow to love you better. And, Lord, like these men in this passage we're reading, that we would have a desire to seek you and you only. And we pray all this in the name of Yeshua, our Savior. Amen. So here we are um, in verse 35. We're still talking about John the Baptist, or here uh, it's pronounced Yohanan uh, or Jonathan. Uh, once again, there's no J 
or J sound in Hebrew. Um, and in verse 35, and uh, I don't have it ha- actually highlighted in your notes here, but you might want to underline that because it says two of his uh, taught ones. Taught ones would be uh, what you have in your other English versions as a disciple. Now, here's what's fascinating about this because um, I don't know about you, but um, it's hard for me to get some movies out of my head. You know, the bunch of the, you know, like the greatest story ever told movies, and some of you guys here are too young to remember those at all. Uh, but I grew up, you know, on the holidays and Easter and stuff, just always watching, you know, the Jesus movies. Had to watch the Jesus movies. Uh, you know, there's the one of Charlton Heston as uh, John the Baptist out there, you know, dunking people, and he's wearing his uh, wool's his uh, wool clothing, you know. And we know that John the Baptist was a man that lived in the wilderness, right? And he wore rough clothing and ate locusts and honey. Um, yeah. And uh, so we have this picture of this wild man that shows up like a prophet. He's out there in the wilderness. He's preaching repentance and everybody's coming because, I don't know, he's, it, you get this picture that he's, I don't know, he's this wild, crazy guy out in the wilderness. Everybody's like, what? And Jesus asked him, we'll get to that passage here in a minute. I mean, what'd y'all go out there in the wilderness to see? I mean, keep in mind, they didn't just, you know, jump in their car and drive five miles to go see a show and they had to walk out there or ride a donkey or something and it wasn't easy, right? So they had to make some effort to get out there. They go out there and see him. But <clears throat> so it says in here that these were two of his disciples, two of his taught ones. Now think about that for a second. So John the Baptist has a following of people that he's teaching almost like a rabbi. These are his disciples that he's teaching, which means they're hanging out with him. These aren't guys that go out there and see, well, that was pretty interesting, now I'm going to go back home, like we typically do. Or that we'll pull up on YouTube and see if we can find something interesting to watch or listen to or whatever and think if you know, that might be something I want to go, oh, I like that, and I might want to go back and watch it again. Or you know, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? They, these are guys and people that would go out and they would follow uh, John the Baptist, and he was teaching and discipling them. It wasn't like they were just coming and going and just went out there to visit. They were like, no, we're going to listen to what this guy says. We're going to become his disciple. We're going to hang out. In other words, sit underneath his teaching. You following me? <clears throat> so I want to read um, a couple other passages. You might want to write these down. Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. You don't have to turn there, but just listen, or you can turn there if you want. Uh, Acts 18, verses 24 through 18. There was this certain Yehudite, or Jew, named Apollos, born at Alexandria, a learned man and mighty in the Scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This one had been instructed in the way of the Master, and being fervent in the Spirit, he was speaking and teaching the matters about the Master exactly 
though he knew only the immersion or baptism of John. He knew that. In other words, he had been taught that. He understood that. That's all he knew as far as that baptism and baptism of repentance. But he also was powerful in the Scriptures and he's teaching it and he understands about the Messiah. So it says in verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the congregation, and when Aquilus and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God or the way of Elohim more exactly. And when he intended to pass through Achaia, the brothers, having encouraged him, wrote to the taught ones, the disciples, to receive him, who having arrived greatly helped those who believed through favor. For with power he refuted the Yehudim, the Jews, publicly showing from the Scriptures that Yeshua is the Messiah. So you need to pick up on here a couple of things. Number one, he is highly trained in the Scriptures, he learns about the repentance preached by John the Baptist, was evidently even probably baptized by John the Baptist. That's all he really understood. Now he's off preaching his thing, and he's preaching about the Messiah. He's preaching about God, and he's preaching about repentance. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they go, um, can we talk? And they explained to him the way more completely about Yeshua. And he goes, okay, I get it. And then after that, he's out there literally refuting the other Jews, the Pharisees, if you will, publicly refuting them, challenging them. Yeshua is the Messiah. You guys missed it. You see that? But I want you to see this background. You have to keep reading. Now, now write this one down, Acts 19. I'm going to have a number of them for you tonight. Acts 19, 1 through 7. This Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, it says, And it came to be while Apollos was at Corinth that Shaul, or Paul, having passed through the upper parts, came to Ephesus. Where was Apollos before that? He was in Ephesus. And having found some of the disciples, taught ones, he said to them, Did you receive the... Holy Spirit, did you, set up, did you receive the set-apart Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no. We have not heard of the set-apart Spirit. And he said to them, uh, well, into what then were you immersed? And they said, into John's immersion, John the Baptist. Where'd that come from? Apollos and what they were learning. <clears throat> Uh, and Shaul said, Yohanan indeed immersed with the immersion of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in the one who was coming after him, that is, in Messiah Yeshua. And when they heard this, they were immersed in the name of the Master Yeshua. And when Shaul had laid hands on him, on them, the set-apart spirit, the Holy Spirit, came upon them, and they were speaking in tongues and prophesying, and all the men were about 12. There was about 12 of them. All right. Now, so I want you to see that there's this following of John the Baptist. Apollos was part of that. Apollos is even spreading this around. 
There's other apostles or other, I'm sorry, disciples of John the Baptist. You have to try to pick up on all these nuances to understand what's going on here. So in Luke, jot this one down, Luke 7, 18 through 24. Luke 7, 18 through 24. Now, for background, before I read that passage, for background, what has just happened before before I read this, uh, there's a funeral procession going on. The son, the only son of a lady, has passed away. They're about to bury him. Yeshua sees this. He understands that this is her only son, reaches up and touches the boy that's dead, about to be buried, speaks life into him. He sits up and speaks. They're on the way to put him in the ground. (laughs) Yeah, Lazarus wasn't the only one he did that to. So what happens is all of this, I mean, it happens and everybody's like, this has got to be the Messiah. This has got to be the problem. What in the world? If you and I saw that today, wouldn't we be going, whoa, what, what, what just happened here, right? So that's what happened just prior to me, to us picking up the story here in verse 18 of Luke chapter 7. It says, the taught ones are the disciples of Johannan, John the Baptist, reported to him about all this, what I just talked about. And Johannan, calling two of his taught ones near, sent to Yeshua, saying, Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? And coming to him, the men said, Johannan the Immerser has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or should we look for another? And in the same hour, he healed many of the diseases and afflictions and wicked spirits. And he gave sight to the blind ones. And Yeshua answered them, answered, said to them, Go and report to Yohanan what you have seen and heard. Blind receive sight, lame do walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf do hear, dead are raised. The good news is brought to the poor. And blessed is he who shall not stumble in me. And when the messengers of Yohanan had left, he began to speak to the crowds concerning Yohanan. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. I told you we were going to get to that. But it's about that right there. Now, here's something else that's fascinating. These are disciples of John. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. They're still following John. You have to let that kind of take root and sink in for a second. John has his disciples. He's been speaking openly about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, this is the one I was talking about. Two disciples go, we're out of here. We're following the Messiah. We'll get to that here in just a second, right? But then he's also got these other disciples, watch this, that didn't leave even on into the thick of the ministry of Yeshua. They're still following John the Baptist. Remember we talked last week how that to this day, there is still a sect 
of people in the Middle East that claim their heritage all the way back to John the Baptist. And they really don't like Christians. They, they don't like a lot of people. But um, so to, that thing that is it, still going on. It's important to remember that. <clears throat> okay. So then we get down to um, these two taught ones, these two disciples. They hear John. They're standing next to John when John says, this is him. This is the one I was talking about, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Lamb of God. They go, okay, we're out of here. They go following Jesus because Jesus is walking away, so they go following Jesus. This is critical in understanding the dichotomy in this story and the dichotomy of what you see today among believers. Watch this. In verse 38, it says, Yeshua turns and he sees them following and he goes, what do y'all want? What are you seeking? What is it that you want? What are you after? Most of us really don't want to ask or answer that question. Ask it of ourselves. What are we really seeking? And I hope tonight we're going to start to crack that door open. He goes, what do you seek? What, do you, what are you seeking? And then look at what they say. They call him rabbi, which means teacher. Let's get by that for a second because it says, where are you staying? Jesus, the son of God, turns to him and says, what are you guys seeking? What are you looking for? What are you after? Does he know? Of course he knows. What is their response? Where are you staying? That's what we want to know. Where are you staying? I want you to notice what they did not say. Let me pull up my notes here. Make sure I don't miss this. <clears throat> One thing that they do not say to him is anything relative or anything that relates to what you can do for us or what you can do for me. Or what's in it for me? Not in any way, form, or fashion. What do they simply say? Where are you staying? That's what we want to know. They're basically saying, where you're staying, that's where we're staying. That's it. We're not looking for anything. I don't have any aches and pains. I need you. I don't. Where are you staying? In other words, God where are you? I want to be where you are, period. They're not going asking for something for them. They simply say, where are you going to stay? Wherever you're staying, that's where I want to be. And it, this idea you're going to see now in a couple of responses that they keep saying that's critical in understanding a heart issue in these two groups massive. Something else here, because it says, um, what, I, what I found was that this word staying, when they say, where are, you, uh, where are you staying? This word is used 112 times in the New Testament. 112 times. 66 times by the Apostle John. 40 of those times 
in the Gospel of John. This word staying has the connotation or it carries the idea of to remain or to continue or abide. They weren't asking him, where are you going to spend the night? I'd like to spend a couple of days. I'd like to spend a couple of, a couple of hours with you. They're literally saying, wherever you go, that's where we want to go. We want to be with you. And we know they do stay. Here's what you need to understand. This was not a happenstance encounter. And and remember now, because of what we already read, and we'll get into this in a second, they are two of multiple disciples that John the Baptist had. Only two. Others didn't go. But two did. So um, so then Jesus' response, Yeshua's next response to them is also fascinating. Because what does he say? Well, come and see. Um, and then what does it say? Well, they went. Um, what's amazing is that all too often people are very inquisitive, but few are willing to make the commitment to actually respond to the answers given. Most of us are real inquisitive about maybe the Bible, spiritual things, scripture, whatever, but are, do we really have the courage to actually respond to the truth given? Yeshua asked him, what are you seeking? We want to know where you're staying. Jesus goes, well, weigh yourself out. Come and see. We know, too, because later he responds. You know, he says, they didn't even have a place to lay his head. Right? Um, They end up walking with him during his ministry, many times just sleeping out in the field. Out in the wilderness, sleeping in borrowed rooms, sleeping in a boat that's tossing and turning, thinking they're going to die, and on and on and on. That's what, so Jesus goes, come and see, and they went. So this takes us right back to his original question, what are you seeking? I think a lot of people want knowledge. Few people are willing to actually act on the knowledge given. And there's a reason why few people actually respond, and you're going to have to listen to me carefully on this. I'm, not, I'm trying not to be, I'm not being judgmental. It's just, a, it's a fact of nature. It's a fact of our human nature. <clears throat> Many of us want head knowledge. We want knowledge. But you have to get back to the core issue. What are you really looking for? Because what you're really looking for will determine your actions. 
your core values will determine how you live out what you think are important to you. That makes sense? Um, so it says, they, so they remained with him. They went and they saw. And they stay with him. Now, it says Andrew, or in this version, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He was the one, he would, so now we know this is one of the two disciples that were listening to John the Baptist. And he goes, this is the Lamb of God. And he takes off. So it's Simon Peter's brother. That should give you a clue as to his intent and his heart and character. But then he makes an amazing statement. He, first of all, yes, he goes and he finds somebody. I'm really glad Susan brought that up with our kids because um, you're going to bring people to that which you are seeking. Think about it for a second. You will bring people to that which you are seeking yourself. And especially when you find it. Because you're going to get excited about it. And you bring them to that thing you were seeking. Does that make sense? But look what he says to him. So he, the first thing he does, he spends the day with Yeshua. He goes, okay, I got to go get my brother. I got to go get somebody. And he says to him, look at what he says in verse 41. We have found the Messiah. I highlighted that, I think, yeah, in verse 41. That is extremely important. What were they looking for? You know, he, he told us what he's looking for. So what was he looking for? He was looking for the Messiah. Was he looking for knowledge? Not necessarily, no. They were looking for something specific. Looking for the Messiah. Looking for the anointed one. Listen, uh, here's a passage for you to jot down close to that reference there in verse 41. It's found in Jeremiah 29, 13. It's one that you actually already know. It's in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with what? You already know the passage. With all your heart. See, I told you you already knew this passage, right? It's in Jeremiah 29. You should read that all in context. Because Jeremiah 29 was where God's telling His people, man, y'all been just so wicked and everything else, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore the nations. And when I do this, you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. This is the time. Yeshua has showed up. He's opening the door for this possibility to happen. And they've been looking for him and they're finding him. And that is exactly what they go back and tell their friends. That's what Andrew tells Peter. We found the Messiah. We found the very Son of God. 
How important was it for Andrew to go get his brother? <laughs> That's pretty important, wouldn't you say? Peter becomes one of the three closest walking with Yeshua. Peter, James, and John. Not Peter, Andrew, and James. Peter, Andrew, and John. Peter, James, and John. There's not a whole lot we even know about Andrew other than when we do see him, he's bringing people to Yeshua or he's bringing what they have to Yeshua. So these people that we're finding here at this very start, they're searching for the Messiah, and they're not just waiting. Watch this. They're not just waiting for God to invade their lives by happenstance. They're actually searching for Him, which is exactly why God said, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so what he does is he turns right around and he brings him to Yeshua. And this is where uh, Yeshua uh, turns his name uh, from uh, Shimon or Simon uh, to Kepha, which means a stone, uh, a rock. You know what? And there's, there's debate all over the place on why he did that. Uh, I'm not even going to waste our time chasing all that. Because you know what? I don't think it really matters as to why. Um, a lot of people want to say, yeah, because he was the first pope of the church and all that. Folks, that's just a bunch of garbage junk. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, when Yeshua said on you, I'm going to build my church, he was talking, when he said, he's going to build it on the confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's not building it on a man. He's building it on the confession. Amen. Uh, so we're not going to, I don't want to chase all that, but it is important when we know the fact that Peter becomes an integral person in the kingdom of God. He's the one that Yeshua gives the keys to the kingdom of God. And when the kingdom of God is taken to the three people groups of all humanity, those three times is when you have tongues break out. When those three times happen, these three people groups, who were they? He first took it to the Jews. Peter's preaching. They start speaking in tongues. Takes it to the Samaritans. What happens? Tongues break out. Takes them to the Greeks. Peter's always there. What happens? Tongues break out. Um, it's this sign that the Holy Spirit had come on these three people groups. The Jews, part of the ten lost tribe and the Samaritans and people that forgot they were Jewish, Samaritans, and then the nations, Gentiles, everybody else. Those are the only groups you got. Uh, so Peter becomes very, very important. If you jump down to uh, verse 45, this is where uh, he finds Philip. <clears throat> Philip's from the same town of Andrew and Peter. He's from Bethsaida, the house of God. And he comes and he's following him. And the next thing we see in verse 45, where Philip, he finds Nathanael. And look what he says to him. We have found him. 
whom Moses wrote in the Torah and the prophets, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Yosef. So who is Philip looking for? Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on y'all to respond. Okay, so you, okay, yeah, yeah. So they're looking for the Messiah, but look what he says. It's in the plural. He's from the same town. He goes and he finds Nathaniel, and he goes, we have found him. They didn't find some newfound truth or ideas or miracles. We found a guy that's doing miracles. You need to come. He said, no, we found the Messiah. So you have to go, what does that, words mean things, right? So what does that mean? It means they had already spent a bulk of their life studying and looking for the Messiah to come. So that when he showed up, they knew. They still had some doubts because they're human. We see that in their lives. As we march through this, we'll see this. But initially they go, this is it. We know. We're, we're seeing things. I mean, they already know. Why? Because they've already been studying and looking. I'm sorry, but I mean, I still, I, there are things flying through my head, just like when Jesus told us, these are the things you need to be looking for in the future so that when it happens, you'll know. Uh, but most people don't want to do that, and they really don't want to be serious about it. It's sad. Uh, way too many of us are more interested in knowledge than we are in seeking God. Folks, even in the church, there's way too many that are more interested in knowledge or a show or traditions than we are in following the King of Kings no matter where He takes you. That's just a fact. How do I know that? Look at the state of the church today in America. Generally speaking, it's pitiful. We're supposed to be the set-apart ones, holy ones. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be loving and kind and giving and forgiving. And man, we can't even get along with each other, much less the world. Bunch of lying, cheating, thieving... <laughs> Like my grandmother used to say, heathens. <laughs> you know, it's sad. Why? Because way too many of us are more interested in knowledge, what we learned that day, with no intent at all in actually trying to apply it to our lives. Why would I even say that? Most people, you know, they've done studies on this that like 90-something percent of the people that go to a church cannot tell you what was preached on last week. Sure enough, can't tell you what was preached on two, three weeks before that. But we do remember the show. We do remember the antics. We remember all kinds of crazy things, and I've done them, you know. Some of y'all been around me long enough to go, yeah, <laughs> saw you do that one. Um, instead of learning some truth that's going to actually change our lives 
and change the way we live our lives and change the way we look at life and the way we look at God and the way we look at each other. And then we go, I'm going to fix that. Why? Not to better my life. If that's the attitude, it will never, ever, ever work. You know why? Because it's self-centered. But when we go, I need to do this because I want to go where he is and be where he's staying. So I'm not going to walk in his house with cow poop on my shoes. I want to clean that stuff up before I go in his house. It's just that simple, right? <clears throat> so <laughs> Nathaniel goes to him, says to him, says, what? It's Nazareth. You seen that place? It's a no-nothing, no-nobody place. It's just... It's just an outcast little, it's an afterthought. It, there's no prophets. There's, there's nothing about Nazareth. It's, a, it's just this little place over there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does he say to him? What does Philip say to him? Well, same thing Yeshua said. Come and see. If you're really searching for the Messiah, you're really searching for God, well then, come and see for yourself. Now, why is that also important? <clears throat> because you can't live on somebody else's experience or somebody else's knowledge or somebody else's faith. You can't. You can't live off a of mine or your wives, or your husbands, or your kids, or your parents, your brother, or your sister, your neighbor. You live off of yours. You know what's so sad about us as believers? Most people, and they'll tell you this publicly, most people will go to a church service so they can get enough of a charge to make it till the next time they show up. Do you realize that's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be? We should come in here electrified. There should be sparks flying off of us getting close to each other. Oh, well, I know you got a story to tell, but you're going to have to hold on and say, I, I got a story. Now I need to tell you what God's been doing in my life. Hold on now, everybody. Let's sit back and listen. Look, we should be just dying to tell everybody what God's doing and coming in here excited about what God's been doing in our lives all week instead of like, oh, good Lord, what a beating, man. I hope the pastor's on today because I need it, right? But how many times is that just the norm among the majority? Instead of it being the exact opposite. We're all supposed to be messengers for the Most High God. You don't need a Moses to help you talk to God. Right? We now have direct access with the Holy Spirit living in us. We should come in here, and when we walk in the room, good kind of sparks ought to fly instead of bad ones. 
We ought to be just charging each other like, whoa, man, and just feel the Holy Spirit show up. And we're like, what happened? Well, we really don't know, man. Did the preacher preach? I think so. I'm not really sure, but man, I can't wait to get back. Woo! Folks, that's how fellowship with each other should be. It should never be a beat down. The difference is when we're coming just looking for knowledge or when we're coming and spending our lives looking for God. And your attitude is, I want to be where God is no matter where that is. I'm not going to say, well, what hotel are you staying at? No, decide if I want to come or not. Right? They just said, we, we want to go where you're staying. Come and see. All right, let's go. And they never left. Powerful, powerful. So then we get down to where he's, he's going to bring Nathaniel. And this is where Yeshua says something absolutely fascinating. He says, see, now he's talking to everybody else that's standing there. They're walking, picture this, Nathaniel, Philip, they're walking up. And he goes, see, right here, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile, there is no deceit. You're, you're walking up. You're going to meet somebody that this, your friend has just told you is the one you've been looking for your whole life. You walk up, and Jesus says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And this is why he responds like that, like, what? <laughs> How do you know? You don't know me, but let, let's, let's look at this for a second. I want you to notice here, because now we're going to see this other dichotomy of, of something happening. It says, um, Jesus calls him an Israelite. Notice he doesn't use that other term, Yehudim. Right? He calls him this very general uh, term of an Israelite or a Hebrew. He doesn't even use uh, the word Yehudim, which would be just Jews. The Yehudim is the, that political thing. Um, so he doesn't even call him uh, just a Jew. He calls him an Israelite. <clears throat> That's where even in the ESV, in your ESV, it says, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile or deceit. Um, he, but he doesn't use that term Jew. And in your ESV, that term would be translated as Jew. So then it says, in whom there is no deceit. Watch this. Here's a few references I want you to jot down. Because when he says that, it's very important. Remember also Nathaniel, Philip, Andrew, Simon and these others, they're not looking for knowledge, but they're looking for the Messiah, right? And that, so we know that because they say we found him. So in other words, they've been studying, looking, and he shows up and they're there. So, and then he says, we, the, here's an Israelite, and in this Israelite, there is no deceit. Psalm 32, 2. I've actually got three for you here. Psalm 32, 2, and it says this, Blessed is the man in whom Yahovah imputes 
no crookedness, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So blessed is the man that God doesn't impute or he takes away his crookedness and in whom there is no deceit in his heart. Man, I've said this so many times, even about myself, I can lie to myself better than anybody I know. So can you. We do it all the time. We say we value something, but our lives says something else. Because when we're asked, or when we're going to give at least a mental answer to what we think is the question in our heart, we're always going to answer what we know is the right answer. Right? Because we don't even want to feel bad about ourselves. But I, we don't use checkbooks that much anymore. Uh, but you can use your, you know, your online account. Uh, but used to, people would say, if you want to find out where your heart really lies, get out your checkbook and read it. It'll tell you where you're spending all your money, what, all, what you're doing. Tell all those secrets. Uh, tell you where your heart really is. Um, here it says, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Someone who's honest and honest with God, more importantly. Now then, I want to take you to Jeremiah 9, verses 5 through 6. In Jeremiah 9, 5 through 6, <clears throat> this is where God, again here in Jeremiah, is laying out <clears throat> the um, accusations, if you will, uh, against His people Israel and why judgments are coming and all these other things. In verse 5, it says, it's Jeremiah 9, verses 5 through 6, Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak falsehood and have wearied themselves to crookedness or to crook. You live in the midst of deceit through deceit. Look at this. You have refused to know me declares Yahovah. That's the key. They're looking, the, you go back to these people, they're looking for God, right? They're being, and it's, in other words, it's not that they haven't just said a lie or whatever in their life, in his life. Of course, they probably have. They're human beings. <clears throat> but it's, they're honest in that they're searching for God and they want to be with God and they want God to do his will in their lives. And here it says, Everyone is lying. He's lying to his neighbor. He's done this through deceit, and you've literally taught your tongue to be deceitful. Folks, we live in an era today where there are people everywhere from the church pulpit to the White House. I'm not calling out any individual, even Trump or anybody. I'm just saying that have lied so long that they don't even know what the truth really is. Literally don't know it. This is just how you play the game. It just, this is life. And so flip-flopping is not flip-flopping. Up is down, down is up, in is out, out is in, black is white, white is black, doesn't matter. And it's just everywhere, right? But this is what he was telling his people and he said, and the problem is you did this so that you wouldn't know me. 
Ouch. Through deceit, they have refused to know me, declares God Almighty, Yahovah. It's going back to this issue over Nathaniel, Philip, and these others, but particularly Nathaniel. And then look at the warning we have from God through Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Write that one down, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. But the Spirit distinctly says that in latter times, some shall fall away from the belief, paying attention to misleading or deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, speaking lies, once again deceitfully, in hypocrisy, having branded their own conscience. What's that talking about? Jeremiah 9. Somebody who is being deceitful to the point of searing their own conscience where they can't even know God anymore. Folks, this is why, and I don't have this reference for you, but God hates lying. Hates it. Uh, So he says, this is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Why is that important? Because he's, what's, God, what's Yeshua about to do? He's about to die on the cross so that he can remarry his bride, that he can take all the Gentiles and graft us into his story. And he's saying, here's one of the true Israelites I'm after. I don't care about your bloodline. I do, but I don't. It's two stories there. What he's after is, the Israelites in whom there is no deceit that really want to know God, and those are the ones He's coming to redeem, and He's going to graft everybody else into that story, those that truly want to know Him. Those that don't, won't. It doesn't matter if you go to church or not. Watch this. It doesn't matter if you keep Torah or not. What you do doesn't get you in the kingdom. It's why. What are you really seeking? Too many people go to church, pray prayers, tithe, keep Torah. The list goes on and on. Why? To get something from God. We want the blessings. We want the healing. We want long life. We want everybody okay. I want everybody to like me, the lit, right? list goes on and on and on, you know. I want God to make sure that that old car just keeps going and going and going. So I'm going to live right so that God will do right by me. It happens. You know how I know? I'm 62 years old. I've been in the ministry a long time. I've done a lot of counseling and a lot of listening and a lot of listening between the lines. And way, way, way too many of us are treating God like, um, well, witchcraft. That if I pray the certain prayer and pray it a certain way and do things a certain way, then God will bless me and and I'll be better. Or I'm going to go to church, watch this, and we're going to straighten out my family. And how many times as a pastor and a youth minister did I hear somebody say, I need you to straighten out my kids. You know, we're here so that, you know, our family can get right. 
And it breaks my heart because so many times I want to go, well, sorry, it ain't going to work. Because your focus is wrong. You need to find God and then God will fix what needs to get fixed. You don't come to church to fix your family. Does that make sense? I know that might rub some people the wrong way. But if that's all you're after, then that's all you're after. I mean, my gosh, go spend some time on YouTube. There's a billion gurus out there that'll tell you whatever you want to hear to fix whatever you think needs to be fixed the way you want it to get fixed. Or you can go to church and, you know, force your husband or wife or whatever to do whatever it is you think they need to do so that y'all can be fine. And every single time I've seen that happen, it lasts for about six months. And then they leave, and six months later you find out, well, you know what? They had a divorce. Wow, I didn't see that coming. And so many times, I hate to say this, but as a pastor, I'm going, well, I ain't surprised. I can't tell how many times I was in counseling with them trying to keep them out of that, trying to beg them to stay and begging them to search for God. And all I could hear was back and forth all the time. Instead of, Can you just pour out your life to God, crying out loud? And then you seek Him, and then you'll get humble, trust me, And then you won't be always talking about, well, she did this, he did that, she did, and just trying to fix stuff in your life. Is all this making sense? And so what I want you to see here where Nathaniel hears this, and what does he say? Folks, this is huge. He is first introduced to Yeshua. Yeshua says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How do you even know me? Dude, when you were under the fig tree before he even showed up, before Philip ever got there, I saw you. That's all he needed to hear. Keep in mind, Philip and Nathaniel on their walk were talking. Okay? There's a lot of stuff, in other words, that's not in your Bible, but that doesn't mean it wasn't happening, right? Right? So they're talking because what they've been looking. He said, we found him. If you had a committee that was looking for something specific, that's of huge importance, life and death, and you show up and say, well, we found it. Okay, well, come on, I'm going to show you where it is. The whole way there, you're just going to keep your mouth shut? (laughs) Of course you're not. You're going to be talking about how you got there, what went on, what you were looking for, what you saw. You're giving all the details that you've got five times on the way there, right? Because that's all you can talk about. He believes they actually found the Messiah. Of course he's going to be talking. He's going to be talking like me. Just, you know, he can't stop talking. He's excited, naturally. So Nathaniel shows up and Yeshua says, Yeah, I saw you before Philip ever got there, and I saw you underneath a fig tree. And he goes, Rabbi, you're the son of God. Wow. That's huge. Huge. And because he makes that confession, and then he says, you are, in in the uh, Scriptures version, it uses the term sovereign which we would understand it in English as king. He goes, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. Ultimate. Not king of the southern kingdom, not king of the northern kingdom, not the king, you know, 
He's saying, you're the son of God. You're the one we've been looking for, the very king of all of Israel, wherever we are. Wow. So then it gets down to verse 51. And this is where he says to him, basically he goes, so you believe that I'm the son of God because I said you're under a fig tree? Let me say it in Paul Henry slang. Dude, you had not seen nothing yet. Because what you're about to see, Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you, from now on you shall see heaven opened and the messengers are angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of Adam or the son of man. Uses the term there, son of man. Why would he say that? Because he's referring to another verse. I'm going to give it to you. You need to write this down. Genesis 28, 12. Genesis 28, 12. This is where... Uh, Jacob has this dream. Uh, His name is changed to Israel. And he says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and on top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. Absolutely amazing. This is what Jesus is referring to. He goes, and we've talked about this not that much, not that distant past, that Yeshua is the ladder. And that the angels are going to be going up and down and ministering to Yeshua, reporting back to God in heaven, and all this stuff's going to be going on all through the ministry of Yeshua from that point on. And he goes, Nathan, you haven't seen nothing. What you're about to see and what you're now going to see continuing on while you walk with me, I am going to be the unfolding of that dream. And it was something that Nathaniel was familiar with. And then he calls himself the son of man or the son of Adam. Jot this down. Nathaniel 3, Nathaniel 7, 13. I'm, not, I'm sorry, Daniel. Too many annuals. Daniel, Daniel 7, 13. In Daniel 7, 13, it says, uh, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was prevented and was presented before him. This idea of the son of man, you see, in the Old Testament, and it was the favorite phrase of Yeshua talking about himself as the son of man, the son of man, the son of man. Why? Because there were these prophecies about the Messiah coming and the anointed of God the, the very Son of God coming as a Son of Man, one like a Son of Man, and doing all of these things. Now, in retrospect, now after the fact, we can look at it and go, oh, that's because God had to become man, die on the cross to remove the divorce decree so he could bring us all back. Beforehand, people couldn't put that together. Now we have the benefit of looking after the resurrection, after all that, after the apostles explaining all this, and we go, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. That's, that's what he was talking about here. You following that? And that's why him making that comment is important. Now I want to regress just a little bit and show you this dichotomy of what I'm talking about. There's two groups of people here, and both of these groups are following John the Baptist. One group, there's two of them, and they're part of another group that come that go back to the hometown of Andrew and Peter and these others. 
where they were what? They were looking for the Messiah. And when the Messiah shows up, they leave whatever they're doing, and watch this, whoever they were following, because they would rather follow the Messiah. There's another group that never left John the Baptist. And here's what's fascinating about that, because we already read the story, right? When Jesus raised a dead man, and disciples of John the Baptist were there and saw it, they go back and report it to John the Baptist. In other words, they were there just spying out what's going on. Trying, you know, they're just, they're just giving facts, right? Are these bad people? No. Just like us. They go back and they tell John the Baptist, this is what we see. John the Baptist, he's just trying to make sure he's got everything straight. Um... And I do believe that by that time, he's actually already in prison with the queen threatening to chop off his head. So John the Baptist, being a mortal human being, is like, hey, Jesus, uh, <laughs> you know, I am your cousin after all. Uh, I am the one, you know, that baptized you. Hey, I'm just, just wondering, are you really the guy? Are you really him? So he sends those disciples back to Jesus and they ask him, John the Baptist wants to know, are you really the guy? Jesus goes, okay, here we go again. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the dead are raised, the deaf can hear, blind can see, all these things are happening. You go back and tell John what you've seen. And what do they do? They go back and tell him what they saw. We don't hear from them again. They go back and tell him. John the Baptist is still over there. And it says after that's when Jesus said, so when you went out to see John the Baptist, he just had this experience. There's two different people there. He's got some people there with him that were walking with John the Baptist, but they said, where are you staying, Jesus? We want to go with you. Oh, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. They don't lie. They really want to know God. Now I've got these other religious people supposedly looking for the Messiah, but what are they looking for? Signs and wonders. They want more facts. They want more info. Come on, I, you know, I, 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 need, I need some more info. Can you, you know? That's why, you know, they kept asking for signs and Jesus goes, this is a wicked and perverse generation. I'm only going to give it one sign and that's the sign of Jonah. As the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Because why? They kept wanting miracles. We'll get to it later, but he fed, you know, 5,000 plus and then another time he fed 4,000 plus with what? Just a few bread and fish. He goes to another place. There's a big crowd. Why? Because he filled their belly. Free food. Miracles. A neat show. It's a cool show in town. Did they really want to follow God? Did they really want to find God? Did they really want to be with the Messiah? No. what they want? More facts. More stuff. Tickle my ears. Ooh, man, that was cool. How did he do that? And then go home and talk and go do something else. 
Does that sound familiar? Because there's a lot of people in church on today. There'll be a lot of people tomorrow in church. There were people in church this morning wanting to get more info, more facts, more stuff, have no intention at all of really wanting to follow the Messiah. They just want more truth. Have a zeal for knowledge. but not the heart to follow the king of kings. That's a big difference. You see, because if all you want is facts, you just keep looking for more facts, more stuff to tickle your ears, more even spiritual truth. As, as cool as it is, right? And man, I love it. I, I love to study the Bible. I love to talk about the Bible. But folks... If it's not leading us into a closer walk with the king, then it means nothing. Nothing. I was saved out of a, from a verse out of James 2.19. You believe that God is one and you do well, but the demons also believe that and shudder. They know that God is one. They know that there's one God. They know that there's only one Messiah. They know that Yeshua is the Messiah. They know that he died, buried, rose again. They know he's seated at the right hand of the Father. They know that judgment's coming. They know all those facts. They know the prophecies better than you and I do because after all, they've been around for a few thousand years. And they shudder. We get so titillated with knowledge we forget what it's about. It's about getting us closer to the king and walking where he is, wanting to be with him no matter what. Be with him. Now, folks, what's all this about? If I can be like a cheerleader to encourage you to do one thing throughout your walk this next week, seek to get closer to your king. period. You know what? You don't need more knowledge. You don't need to know your Bible more to get closer to your king. What you need and what we need and what everybody needs is a repentant heart and a, a desire to, I want to be with God no matter where that takes me. Now watch this, no matter what I have to leave behind. Way too many of us go, nah, you know, I can't leave that. I mean, John the Baptist, he's a cool guy. He's in prison, dude. He pointed you to the king, and you still want to hang out with John the Baptist? You see the miracles, and where do you go? Back to John the Baptist. Still claiming to follow God, but you're over here following the Torah and missing the Messiah. Why? Because you want to hold on to all this over here instead of simply going where God is no matter what you have to leave behind. Yeah, but the rabbi say, yeah, but my pastor said, yeah, but my mama said, yeah, but my daddy said. I don't care who said what. If it doesn't agree with the scriptures, they're wrong. <laughs> and we, 
as believers need to have a desire that I want to follow God no matter what. No matter what. I don't want to be a disciple of John the Baptist. Think about that statement for a second. Jesus said that there hasn't been a greater prophet since, but the least in the kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great prophet, amen? He heralded the king of kings. That's pretty cool, right? I don't want to be his disciple. You know what? You don't want to be my disciple. You don't want to be dependent upon me. You don't have to. I'm going to let you in on a little clue. The Holy Spirit that came and invaded Paul, invaded Peter, James, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Timothy, people that wrote the New Testament, the same spirit that invaded the heart of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, inspired them to write what they wrote, resides in you. The author of the book resides in you. All you got to do is ask him, show me what you want me to learn here so I can be closer to you. You think God's not going to answer that prayer? If you pray and ask God, God, show me how to love you better. How many of us are really willing to pray that and actually mean it? Because if you pray that, he'll show you. This is how I want you to love me. This is how I want you to live your life. Number one, stop looking in the mirror so many times for crying out loud. It ain't all about you. I want you to, you want me to love you or you want to love me? What, what, what do you seek? Because you're going to find what you're looking for. If you're looking for stuff for you, you'll find it. whoop de doo go have a nice ride. If you want to find God, he says, you'll find me when you what? When you search for me with your whole heart. We'll find him. So he says, if you want me, search for me. What that means is you're going to have to get out your Bible. You're going to have to pray, read your Bible, those of you that have been around here, and what? Repeat. Pray. Read your Bible. Repeat. Ask him. Show me how to love you better. Show me what you want me to know from your word so that I can get closer to you. And when you get closer to him, your problems will start to fade away. And when problems come your way that looks like you can't handle, he'll give you the answer to deal with it because it's not all about you and your problems. It's about growing closer to your king. The goal in life, watch this. I know this is contrary to the American dream. The goal in life is not to make a whole lot of money, live longer than everybody else, and not have any other problems or whatever problems you do have, you fake it till you make it. The goal in life for us, the goal in life, it's just most people don't realize it, the goal in life is to get closer to your creator, closer to your king, period. Whether you have a lot of money a long life or a short life. 
what does, what does it compare if you only live 13 years or 113 years on this earth, but eternity with God or without God? Oh, but that's not how it's supposed to happen. None of this is how it's supposed to happen. We were supposed to be in the garden, running around naked and not knowing it. We were supposed to be that innocent. That was the plan. But God knew. So part of the plan was that God knew. And he goes, but I've got a plan. It's going to be okay. So as far as who's supposed to die when, what's supposed to happen, how much money you're supposed to have, what kind of health you're supposed to have. Are you supposed to be tall or short or fat or skinny or big or strong or weak or whatever? No, it's are you close to your God and growing closer to your God every day? Because if you are, that's where you're going to find peace, perspective, purpose, everything. Your Bible will then start to make sense. It's not a how-to on how to have a happy life. Your Bible is explaining to you what God is doing so you can make the choice. What do you seek? Want to follow God? Or you just need more stuff? You need more facts? You need more, I don't know, trivia? How old was Isaac when he was sacrificed? Uh, you know, what town were they in when this happened? All that stuff's cool. It paints this big picture. But if it's not bringing you to Jesus, if it's not bringing you to God, if it's not bringing you a closer walk with him, it's not bringing you anything except a puffed up head. And then what happens when we get a puffed up head? Well, I need to go on a speaking tour and straighten everybody out. Right? Because, hey, I found the secret. Get me on TV, pray it like this, do it like this. You're not going to have any more problems. Sometimes I want to put my fist right through the TV when I hear that junk. I'm like, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about us walking with him and understanding we're created in his image and that we're, we're his ambassadors. And that's what we need to be bragging about. That's what we need to be after. And we need to be going... Jesus, where are you at? Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. God, where are you? Because that's where I want to be with you, period. And I, but I'm going to let you in on another little secret. We'll close. You need to understand something. You're probably going to walk fairly alone. I've been in the ministry a long, long time, ministry a long time. I have almost never ever heard somebody come into a fellowship and tell me, God's brought me here. I know that he's brought me here for a reason, and I'm here to help and serve and everything, and then see people actually settle down and really do that through the thick and the thin and the good, the bad and the ugly, because we're dealing with people, right? And all of a sudden, well, no, no, I'm gone, I'm gone. It's like God can't make up his mind where he's sending his people. And then they're going to leave. Well, God's telling me to go over here. And God's telling me to go over there. And God's telling me to go here. And God's telling me to go there. And I guess I was just here for those two months, you know, whatever. So, you know, I could meet someone. I'm like, okay, well, you know, whatever. Uh, You know what? I, uh, I, I don't think God's schizophrenic. 
And I think he wants us to be a community that doesn't fight, doesn't backbite, doesn't do all that stuff, and that we walk through these doors with good sparks flying. The good kind, where we come in and go, Pastor, I know you need to preach. I got something to share. I've had that happen a few times, and I let them speak and was glad I did. I've had times when something else would happen, and I would go, you know what? Folks, that was the message. I got nothing to say. I've had times in my ministries where my ministry where we would show up and do nothing but pray with no schedule. We didn't even plan anything. I didn't even plan to speak. I'd have a little backup in case it was dead time, kind of like a warmed-over biscuit. Just had a backup. What are y'all going to do tonight? We're going to pray. What else are you going to do? We're going to pray. I mean, you got any programs? You got no, we're, we're going to pray. Well, hmm. Man, and the spirit would break out. Powerful. And they have one guy come up and say, you know, all this praying is fine, Pastor, but we pray, we, we pay you to teach. We need you to teach. And just watch the spirit just get turned off like that. What are you seeking? Ah, just more stuff. Well, I thought you were seeking me. We need to be people that seek God. Amen? Amen. That's what we want to be. I want you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are awesome. Lord, I, I want to be with you. Um, Heavenly Father, I want to glorify you. And um, Lord, I want us. I'm not saying we're not now. I just, I, Lord, I want us to be a people that just brag on you. Not our stuff. We just want to come together and just enjoy being together and just, we want to enjoy being together because you're here with us. Not because we've got even anything in common, but except for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that's just, for whatever reason, might be struggling with their relationship with you, I pray that would change. Whether it's just stagnant, empty religious activity compared to a vibrant walk with you or whatever that is. Heavenly Father, I pray that it would just change tonight. They would call out to you and say, Father, I want to I want to know where you're staying. I want to be with you. I want to seek you. I want to find you. And then to hear you say, well, come and see. Come on. So, Lord, I pray that that would happen for all of us, and that we would be a, a people that would point people to you. and We'd be like Andrew and Philip and these others that were constantly bringing people to you. And those that were seeking you actually found you. And those that wanted to see another sign went and looked for another sign. But, Lord, some of them stayed. So, Lord, help us to do that. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, will you? Um, good to have... Uh